This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. You are everything that is. Your thoughts, your life, your dreams come true. You are everything you choose to be. You are as unlimited as the endless universe. Learning to manage, control, and direct the resources of your own mind is the greatest opportunity you will ever have. Until recently, we didn't even know the name of our greatest adversary. That wall which has confined us to the smallest part of what we could have been. The adversary has been us. It is the thoughts which we have thought. It is our own thinking which has created the limited self-portraits of who we believed ourselves to be. Our technology has given us the tools and science has shown us the way. Our emerging understanding of our own human brain has pointed us in the right direction. We have learned that what we do and what we do with us is not an accidental happening. We have learned that who we are and what we are is a result of more than a chance combination of genetic inclinations. We have learned that what happens next for each of us is more up to us than we might have thought. It is up to what we think. Talk to yourself. Learn the words, the right words, and use them. Make yourself talk a positive, everyday self-directing habit. Talk to yourself in a way that is kind, Loving, caring, strong, demanding, and determined. Talk to yourself in the right way every day. When you do, you will give yourself the greatest gift you will ever give, writes Shad Helmstetter in What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. Valeria Tellez interviews Megan Barkin. She is an experienced, licensed clinical social worker providing therapy services in her mental health private practice in St. Louis, Missouri. She also works part-time at a prison re-entry community program called Concordance Academy, where she works with men and women getting out of prison and reintegrating into the community. Driven by her passion to help and serve others, she takes great pride in utilizing a variety of different therapy interventions to create an individualized therapeutic approach to each client. Megan's primary focus areas in therapy are depression, anxiety, trauma, substance use disorders and addiction, self-esteem issues, women's issues, blended families, premarital and marital, and relationship issues. Her clientele consists of teens, adults, and couples. Megan graduated with a bachelor's degree of human services from Fontbonne University and graduated summa cum laude from St. Louis University with a master's degree of social work. Outside of work, she has a beautiful blended family of four children with her husband, Peter, with one on the way. 
In her free time, Megan is extremely passionate about horses, all animals, and all things outdoors. Megan has a certified therapy dog, Louie, who she rescued in 2015 and attends sessions and facilities around St. Louis. Meet Megan at MeganBarkinLLC.com. Here's the interview with Megan Barkin. In your own words, who is Megan Barkin? Oh boy, that's a big question. So professionally, I am a mental health therapist. I have a private practice. I love working with teens, adults, couples, um, and specializing in different areas. I also have a part-time job that I just can't seem to let go of because I'm so passionate about it. I uh, work at a prison reentry program called Concordance Academy. We help men and women that are getting out of prison and reintegrating into society. So I'm only there once a week, but I, I love my work there. Um, personally, I have an amazing, talented husband, and we have a beautiful blended family together um, that consists of my son, my two stepsons, my stepdaughter, and one on the way mm-hmm. coming in yeah. August 22. I am a lover of all animals, always have been since I was young, and we have lots of pets to support this mm-hmm. fact. <laughs> I really enjoy doing anything outdoors, adventure uh, but I'm also definitely an introvert at heart, and so I love my my time at home with my family and our animals and, and just kind of taking it easy also. That sounds so lovely to me, <laughs> everything you say, the way you say it. <laughs> My second official question is about mental health. How do you define mental health, Megan? What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? So I think that it really comes down to kind of the condition of our mental mindset, and that involves our emotion, our affect, um, the way that we kind of view the world, the way that we view ourselves. Um, And ironically, you know, today's topic of self-talk, I think a lot of our mental health has to do with um, our self-talk and, you know, our perspective of ourselves and the way we see ourselves in the world and and the world around us. General well-being of the mind. The more I read and listen on the topic of self-talk, the more it resonates true. And even the way we speak to others, sometimes some say it's a reflection of how Uh, the way we think about ourselves, but Mm -hmm. also sometimes can be easier to be kind to others and unkind to ourselves. And I wonder why. Yeah, I think we are our biggest critics. And sometimes it is much easier to be kinder to the world around us. And we um, tend to be hardest on ourselves. And a lot of times we don't even realize how much we're doing it. Yeah, so true. So most of it, it's unconscious. Exactly. You think about self-talk and so you think about, you know, the thoughts that we have, but the majority of our self-talk is actually unconscious and in our subconscious mind. Um, There's not a ton of it that, you know, we're consciously aware of and we have to really be mindful of it. Since I started to 
kind of reflect more about this topic. Two days ago, yesterday and today, uh, before talking to you today, I have been observing more of my thoughts. And I notice a lot of patterns, almost automatic thought patterns. They are always the same when it comes to negative self-talk or right. negativity regarding or criticism regarding my environment, like the war that's happening now, for example, Ukraine and Russia. And I wonder how can I think about this in a different way, not negative, but in the sense of what is here to see? How can I change within so I can see the situation in um, not in a positive way, but in a more, let's say, universal, open way, where mm -hmm. I can see that the only thing I can do in order to make the world a more peaceful place is to become peaceful myself. Yeah, that's a tough one. When there are, you know, when there are horrible and bad things going on in the world, it's hard to be able to view that in a way that's more adaptive and not as negative because there are lots of negative things that are happening in this world. Um, but on the, you know, on the other side of the coin, there are also a lot of positive things. And so we have to kind of look at those things equally. Yeah. And the way find the balance, right, Megan? Another open question is about the idea of happiness. What is happiness to you? Huh. Gosh, <laughs> such simple questions, but yeah. so complex. <laughs> True. Um, I think happiness is um, definitely a kind of a physical and a mental experience. Um, and it is, you know, the feelings that we experience. But also, if you think about it on a, you know, neurophysical level, um, happiness does come down to um, the chemicals that we're releasing in our body, and and then that creates the feelings and the way that we experience the world. So, I believe it's definitely a state of mind and body um, and emotions, and you know the state of our soul. Um, and so, it really embodies a lot, a lot more than just our emotions, but um, you know our experiences, the way we, that we see things. Uh, the way that we experience things and the people around us. So it goes back to that inner world, becoming more familiar with what is inside of us and our relationship to the outside coming from the inside. I absolutely agree. And you mentioned soul, and that's one of the topics um, or relates to the topics that I love discussing here, spirituality. Yes. Do you have any spiritual practices or belief systems, views? I do. I definitely have my own spiritual practices. Um, I do have, you know, a higher power that I think is, you know, above all and, and the creator of the universe. And so, and that to me is so humbling and, and also comforting that I am not the end all be all, neither are the rest of humanity. Um, and so I definitely have a relationship. I think that there's a big piece of having a relationship with our higher power, whatever that higher power may be for you. Um, but that definitely does play a role in my happiness because, you know, when I, as a faulted, um, broken human, try to, you know, take over my life and control it and, and be the, you know, be in control of everything, things don't always go great. And a lot of times I do have to surrender to my higher power. Um, who I call God and, and, uh, you know, let my God be in charge and, and guide me. 
I love this idea too, that we can, in a way, I'm not sure if it is surrender. I have heard that word before too. Here we talk a lot about surrendering. It seems to me like it's more being open to life or perhaps being life itself. It's the way I really see it. The more I I become open to what is happening now, exactly the way it's happening, then it seems to create more space where I'm, I'm more comfortable with everything and more relaxed. It's almost like um, it kind of helps me not to resist to what the body or the programmed mind doesn't like. <laughs> so it's very interesting. So it is, Megan, we have different names. You call it the higher power, but some people call it God. I call yes. it life itself or the universe. But it is very it's very freeing. I go even beyond comfort. <laughs> it's just liberating. Yes, yes. And I love the the language that you used of that openness because it's almost like the more I learn and the you know, the more um years of life that go by, I feel like the less I know. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. I'm just constantly <laughs> discovering things and learning things. And so I think keeping that open mind and remaining teachable and having, you know, um, mentors in my life and people that I am open to feedback is so important to help me to continue to grow mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Another open question, I even using that word for these questions, (laughs) initial questions, is about the purpose of the human experience. What do you think that is? Oh man, I I don't have that figured out at all. I, that's the most straightforward experience or answer I can give you. I think um, something that I love that I've heard you talk about on your podcast is just this idea of of love, right? Um, and I think love is a very it's not just emotional. It's not just our actions. It's a physical, mental, and emotional experience. And so I believe that you know. When you look at, as far as my life, when I look at what I do personally and professionally, I'm always kind of seeking that love and compassion and that connection to um, other humans and, you know, family, friends and other creatures of the universe. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I really love animals and my interaction with animals. Um, And so I think it's about that connectivity with other um, human beings and other other living beings. And our, our brains are really, you know, wired for it. Um, you know, the human experience is different than, than other animals. And we, you know, we release those hormones that make us feel connected, you know, that oxytocin and dopamine that, <clears throat> that really um, we are created to feel connected with one another. So whether it's, you know, our family or friends or, the work that we do, I believe that a lot of life comes down to connecting with others and just experiencing the world with others around us. Yes, what a beautiful answer that I wholeheartedly believe in. When I think about being connected, feeling connected, or this idea of connectivity with others or anything, for me has been the practice of being in the moment, The more here and now I am, the more Mm -hmm. connected I feel to, if there is a a truth, uh, that sounds very much true, this idea, or from my experience has been true. 
Yes. And just like we're going to talk about self-talk a little later, mindfulness is something that I am far from perfect at, but I try to really incorporate into my life. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, mindful eating, just being in the present moment, um, enjoying that, you know, those small moments with my family instead of thinking like, Oh, what are we going to do later? What are we going to do tomorrow? Um, just those little moments, you know, putting down the phone, Mm, uh, just appreciating (laughs) the small things. Um, mindfulness is so key, but it, it also, at least for me is, is such a struggle because we are, we, we, kind of always want to find that fast fix and that that next thing to make us feel better and it can be hard to just stay in the moment. What a fascinating experience this is. It's almost like a dance of wisdom as some <laughs> say. <laughs> um, my last open question is about healing. What is healing to you and what are some of the misconceptions about healing? So healing can happen in a variety of settings. Um, You know, you think about the different parts of um, the human experience. So there's physical healing, there's emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing. And those can happen in all different ways. So, you know, healing in a hospital is going to look different than healing in a treatment center or healing in a therapy session. Um, So I think healing is is the process of returning to a healthy state. And I know that even that can be really hard to define, but yeah, I think healing is returning to a, a, you know, I know the word even normal is loaded, but healing to, um, to a, to a healthy state, getting us to a place where we can have, um, as far as emotionally, we can have healthy views. We can experience things in a more adaptive way in which we can view things positively. Um, I mean, when you think about healing, when it comes to trauma, you're doing a lot of work with, again, we'll talk about kind of rewiring of the brain, um, you know, adjusting our automatic negative thoughts, adjusting the way that we see ourselves and see the world around us. Um, so that's such a big answer that I can't even really begin to address. But that's kind of, um, yeah, I think healing can happen in a lot of different ways. But a lot of times, again, it does involve um, that connectiveness with another person and also the work that we do within ourselves. So true. And it is an ongoing process too, right, Meg? It seems like it never really ends. It oh, feels yeah. to me. Yes, there's no end point. There's no finish line. Yeah, that might be one of the biggest misconceptions about healing, isn't it, for some people? Yes. Looking for destination to get there and stay there. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you're definitely right. You know, people will, you know, you're never to a point where you know everything or you experienced everything or, you know, you're ready to stop growing spiritually. It is a constant um experience that you go through your whole life working on. Interestingly, I talked to somebody a long time ago and she said something about that I never heard before. It was about sufficient healing. She said, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sufficiently healed to do what I do, to live a life of joy, of peace. I'm there sufficiently. So that was an interesting kind of way of 
perceiving that, uh, the idea of healing. It, it made yeah. sense to me. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, sufficient healing enough to allow for normal, healthy functioning and processing and to live the day to day without those daily interferences of, of unhealthy experiences or habits or thoughts. So you are a licensed clinical social worker. Talk to me about becoming a clinical social worker. How did that happen, Megan? Yeah, so um, that was always kind of the plan. So um, I knew that I wanted to work with people and help people. Um, and that kind of started in my teenage years. I struggled a lot. Um, I struggled a lot with, you know, self-esteem, um, substance use, um, you know, tr treating myself poorly. And so I, I was lucky enough to have some really amazing um, counselors and therapists in my life that really helped me get through some dark, some dark spots in my life. And so I kind of was inspired that like, you know, I think this is what I want to do for a living. Um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, you can kind of go the social work route or the counseling route. And so, um, the social work route is a little broader. So I decided to do that. Um, I got my bachelor's in human services, which is very similar with social work, and then went on to get my master's in social work. And from there, once you have your degree, um, you go through a supervision process in which you are supervised by another licensed clinical social worker, um, and they supervise your work for um, two years in which you are meeting weekly, discussing your work, um, they're giving you feedback on your work, and then at the end of those two years, you take an exam, um, and then kind of when you get all of your hours approved and pass that exam, then you become fully licensed. And sometimes it feels like a profession or a career or what we do, it kind of chooses us, doesn't mm -hmm. it? It really feels like that too. It really does. I, I think, yeah, when I was struggling and broken and still didn't really know what I was going to do in life, I, I think that I knew that it's somehow I wanted to try to help others the same way that I had been helped. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for having this openness that's really one of the qualities that I really appreciate in human beings. I keep going back to that. It's so crucial. So do you offer remote online sessions as well, Megan? Therapy? I do. I do telehealth and in person. So the majority of my clients are in person. I think that's in general still the preferred method of just, you know, connecting with a human one-to-one. Uh, -one, but um, definitely telehealth has been amazing, um, considering, you know, convenience and people scheduling and of course the pandemic. So to allow that way to connect with people, um, has been great for those who need it. Um, and it's definitely still effective. Um, I, I personally love meeting with my clients in person and having that experience, but also we have such tech, great technology that you can connect with somebody on a computer screen and still feel very connected. So you treat conditions such as depression, anxiety, trauma, substance use disorders, addiction, self-esteem issues, women's issues, blended families, premarital and marital and relationship issues. 
One that caught my attention was blended families. And you mentioned that earlier too. That's in your bio as well. So I have now, I'm married. I have a husband and my son, my dog. (laughs) I consider him my son. (laughs) He's so precious to me. Of course, he is, I'm sure. Oh my God. And then my mother-in-law just moved in. Okay. And that has yeah, been an yeah. interesting experience. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so I would love to hear for a moment about that blended families. What are the challenges that most of us have with that? And what is your best suggestion? <laughs> oh man. So yeah, my my journey with blended families kind of started with my own my own journey. Um, kind of in, in 2019 when I met my husband and I had my son and he had his three children. And, you know, as our relationship deepened and got more serious, we began to kind of integrate the two. And in 2020, we um, married and moved in together. And so um, it's just a very interesting experience because you're taking two families that typically kind of have their own way of doing things, (laughs) their own outlooks, their own opinions, their own lifestyles. And, and then trying to what we call blend the two. Um, and it, it's not usually seamless, um, in most experiences. And it involves a lot of, um, compromise and communication and understanding and not taking things personally. Um, so I think one of the greatest challenges is just being able to compromise and being able to communicate through those differences because there's always going to be differences and we're going to have some negotiables and some non-negotiables. And I think there's also such pressure from society that, you know, a marriage just, just can just join two families. And when you think about a family coming together, you know, um, Typically that happens, you know, when two people have a baby and they raise the baby together and they can, you know, raise this baby, um, you know, throughout its years. And so it's not really um, a natural process for two families to come together and just to be expected to coexist peacefully. Um, and so we have this, we have this societal pressure of, you know, oh, you're married, you're in love, and, you know, you guys will make this work, and every, everyone will love happily ever after, and there's a lot of challenges. So I think a lot of that is just acknowledging areas of weakness and acknowledging, you know, especially not just with my husband, but um, with with our kids and, you know, for others, with their kids, acknowledging this is not easy, this is hard, you know, you went from having, you know, maybe being an only child or maybe having this many siblings to now having more and being expected to live in a house with these people, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> okay. like I said, that open communication, apologizing, recognizing mm-hmm. when you're wrong, <clears throat> recognizing when you're wrong, um, being able to accept advice from other people. So, yeah. you know, part mm-hmm. Part of my personal journey has been, you know, seeking advice from people from um, blended families, reading books on blended families, um, just being open to suggestions instead of thinking, you know, um, my way is the best way and I know how to handle this. 
What an interesting idea, this apologizing, not taking personally. I love that, which to me, it kind of goes back to that word again, being open, Mm -hmm. that really, really helps. I remember when my mother-in-law, before she moved in, she wanted to talk to me and she said, what do you expect from me or what do you want from me? And I just said one thing, (laughs) not being open, but I said to be kind. Mm-hmm. Kindness, that's the only yes. thing. And she had a smile on her face. That's all. That's all you want from me. <laughs> oh, it's not that easy. <laughs> right. right? Be, it is to be tough. kind. <laughs> yes. At all times. So with that, I think now it's um it might be the perfect time to talk about the power of self-talk. Yes. So talk to me for a moment, Megan, about kindness. Is that something that we can apply directly? to self-talk? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, It's interesting because when you think about kindness, you so often think about the way that we treat others. But I think that kindness has a lot to do with self-talk and being kind to ourselves. Um, And um, just, yeah, when you think about self-talk, like I said, it's not just the thoughts that we have, but it's the feelings that we experience. So you know, it's as simple as when I wake up in the morning, um, myself, my self-talk starts with kind of the way I'm looking at my day. If I'm like, oh, I'm just dreading this day. I have to go to work today. I don't want to do these things. That's right there is negative self-talk. And so if I can be kinder to myself in that experience and kinder about my experiences and think, you know, man, I got to wake up today. Not everybody got to wake up. And I, I get to do this job that I really love and I'm passionate about. And I get to serve my clients instead of, you know, oh, I have to go, you know, see my clients. Um, being kind to myself and the way I think about things. Um, yes, I think kindness has a lot to do with self-talk. So another question, I have lots of questions. I know that you referred me a beautiful book by Shad uh, Hamstetter. Thank you, Hamstetter. So he wrote the book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. So I read the book and I have lots of quotes here and uh, and interesting points. But I want to ask you an open question about this. How does the brain get programmed, conditioned? Yeah, so I will explain it in the best layman's way that I can because I'm not a scientist or neurobiologist, but um, the brain gets programmed um, through a lot of repetition and through receiving messages. Um, And so the way the book kind of talks about it is we receive all these chemical and electrical messages um, that is actually just fancy words to describe our thoughts. Um, And so the messages, the majority of the messages that our brain is receiving chemically and electrically are our thoughts, but they're also very much the world around us. So, you know, when we think about um, our experiences as a child and the messages we received, not just from our caregivers, but from our friends when we were younger and um, school and the media, um, we are constantly receiving messages, um, not just from ourselves, but from the world around us. And those messages 
form neural pathways in our brains that form our belief system. Um, and those very much form the way that we see ourselves and see the world around us. Um, and so that's kind of a, a simplified way of looking at it that all these messages, whether it's self-talk or messages receive, we receive from others or media, um, they for, form these neural pathways in our brains that then form these core belief systems. One of the questions that I usually ask that refers to belief systems is, what is the difference, Megan, between beliefs and values? I think that um, beliefs and values, yeah, a lot of times they do go hand in hand. I, I do think that values can change. Um, so, you know, when we think about when we're younger, a lot of times we value, you know, fun and success and, you know, we, we strive to, you know, do things that are very fulfilling and fun and, and make money. And then I think a lot of times as we get older, we realize that it's not about those material things and we start to value relationships more um, and, um, you know, experiences and connection. Um, and so I think that our values are kind of changing throughout our life based on our experiences. Um, I believe that our belief systems a lot of times um, are a little more hardwired into us. And I think those a lot of times are formed by, like I said, the messages that we receive. And so we a lot of times are more unaware of our belief systems uh, because they're formed on the messages that we receive. So we may have a belief system of I'm not good enough um, or, you know, I'm less than, and we may not even really be aware of that belief system, uh, and the way that we see ourselves in the world and see others. So I think that, um, the belief systems are kind of hardwired. And again, the book talks a lot about how we can change those things. And there's been so much research with neuroplasticity and which is basically just the brain's ability to rewire itself. Um, and so we can rewire the, those, those hardwired systems in our brain, but it takes a lot of work and practice. Yes. And one of the key practices that I noticed was that, that he says, and you said about how the brain gets programmed. So the key word was repetition. Mm -hmm. And then the way now to reprogram the brain, it's also repetition. Yes. So how interesting. It goes back to the same principle or practical principle because it took us so long to be programmed and we practiced and repeated so many times mm -hmm. to get here. Now it might take hopefully not as long, right, Megan? In my right. case, it took 37 years being programmed in the, in the not in a nice way. Right. Uh, and if you think about it, uh, you know, a simple analogy, and I hate to compare you know, humans to, to dogs, but yeah. um, it's almost like training a dog, you know, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yes. you're training a puppy or a dog, you use a lot of repetition. Um, and it's, it's that repetition that trains those habits, whether it's 
And it's funny because sometimes we train our dogs to do things that we don't even realize, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, yeah. Like, you know, when they jump on us and we say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, good dog and, right. and pet the dog. We're teaching the dog that when you jump up, you get attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when we want to break habits with dogs, you know, it does take a lot of repetition and work. If you've spent your, your dog's whole life letting them come on the couch and all of a sudden one day you decide... I don't want to let you on the furniture. That's going to take some time to, to learn that new, that new practice. And we are very much the same way. And I think that's the tough part is that we can decide, okay, I want to change this belief about myself or I want to change these habits. And, you know, being humans, we are very intelligent. And so we think that like this change should be able to happen overnight, but we do require a lot of repetition and a lot of work and changing those beliefs and habits. We have learned that who we are and what we are is the result of more than a chance combination of genetic inclinations. We have learned that what happens next for each of us is more up to us than we might have thought. It is up to what we think. Yes, which is just... So mind blowing to me. And I think I, I forget that all the time that we actually have the power to reprogram our brain and to recreate our cycles. Um, because so often we do look at genetics and experiences and, and yes, those things have a big, a big influence on us and our behaviors, but it also is as simple as our thoughts. He also says, you are everything that is. Your thoughts, your life, your dreams come true. You are everything you choose to be. You are as unlimited as the endless universe. I yes. love that. Yes, I love that too, because we really have that power to change. And so often we feel stuck or we feel like, oh, I can't do this work or I can't make these changes. And I think we underestimate ourselves a lot. I know, I know I, I'm guilty of it. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, the idea of choosing is kind of, let's say, it doesn't resonate as strongly anymore, maybe because of my spiritual practices that kind of inform me more than uh, than anything that the more it's all about being open and the more I am open to the here and now and present to what is present, then I'll be able to see clearly the options that I have. It comes that way instead of um, I can choose anything or I can do anything from whatever space that I am now, whatever mental state. It seems like it's a bit deeper than that. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. I really appreciate that because I know you are more on the scientific side, but I also see the this bridge between science and spirituality now more than ever. I mm-hmm. see that's coming together and like, it's pretty much the same thing. The scientists are saying and spiritual teachings are, are trying to communicate. So how fascinating that we are pretty much saying the same thing, but yes. in a different language. And I am a full supporter of both, you know, both truths of science and spirituality. And I, I truly do believe that they can coexist really beautifully and that we can practice both of them. Um, you know, I know during this podcast, I'm talking a lot about the scientific evidence of, of, you know, neurobiology and neuroplasticity, but I very much do believe in that, that spirituality aspect of it. And, 
um, that we are spiritual beings. And I, I believe that's what does set us apart from other animals. Kind of makes sense, Meg, that the more we relax and rest in the middle of life, the more we are able to almost allow the body to make the change that it needs to make. Of course, including the brain, which all this wiring happened. So it, it really, really resonates to me, this idea that relaxing, almost giving up control, will help with all aspects of the human experience. Yes. And I do believe, you know, we talked about higher power God. I believe that God created our minds um, and our brains in that way so that we do have mm. the power to heal, you know, with, with God's help. Um, mm. But he created our brains in such a fascinating <laughs> way that, that we do have the power to heal and to grow um, and, you know, have that, that human experience. So I think that's kind of where spirituality fits into it. Um, the brain is such a powerful thing and we, there's so much that we still don't know about it, but I do believe that, you know, that is part of the creation um, of a higher power is is how how God created humans different from other living beings. And then when we think about being curious, we talked about that earlier and being open and curious and uh, willing to learn. So that means we'll try to discover more about ourselves, the human body, as you say, the brain, how it works. So it kind of goes back to the same thing in a way. It really does. It does. It does. Yep. We're always curious, always wanting to learn more, know more. Which always helps, right? With this idea of balanced living or happy living or whatever idea we have of this thriving ways of existing. I, I really love talking about these things because it's just every day I learn something different. <laughs> and yes. today I learned from you some, as a reminder, just to pay attention to the thoughts, the thoughts, all of them. In his book, Shed, he has a three-step process kind of that he teaches in the book, monitor, edit, and listen. So yes. three processes. Would you like to um, talk a bit more about that, Megan? Are you familiar with yeah. the three steps? Yeah. yeah, so he does. He talks about how it's a three-step process, which is great because it's not a 15-step pro uh -huh, process. Right. That's <laughs> um, easier. Yeah. Yeah. So monitoring <laughs> is just kind of the first step of just that self-awareness of being aware of what are the thoughts that I'm having. Um, like we talked about, there are so many thoughts that we have. Um, that we're unaware of. So um, when I started becoming more aware of my self-talk, I was I was shocked by the amount of negative self-talk that I had because I, you know, as a therapist, you like to think that you have, you know, pretty good, pretty good uh, experience with positive self-talk. But um, even as small as like waking up in the morning and being like, oh, I don't want to wake up or I don't want to get out of bed. Um, and so that first step is monitoring and being aware of all those thoughts that we have throughout the day, all those things that we either say out loud about ourselves, either, you know, if, whether we're speaking out loud to somebody else or to ourselves, whether we think it, um, whether we communicate it in writing. So just kind of starting to monitor and be aware of all of our self-talk and the way that we're viewing ourselves. Um, the second step is editing. So changing that self-talk, um, catching ourselves in those moments and changing that self-talk to, I'm going to have a great day. I know I can do this. I am 
successful. I am a good friend. I am a good mom. You know, all of those things. Editing that self-talk. And then that last part is listen. And that's just really that repetition of, of getting that positive self-talk. And so he talks about how there's different, there's four different ways that we can practice self-talk. There's the self-speak where it's, you know, that's anything kind of out loud to ourselves or others, self-conversation, um, talking to ourselves, uh, self-write, um, and that consists of writing things, um, about ourselves and our experience and then recorded self-talk, which is a really interesting experience. Um, and I feel like that trend has kind of come and gone. Um, but Shad, uh, Helmstetter, it's actually at shadhelmstetter.com. He's got a lot of really good recordings of self-talk, um, that you can go on there and just kind of pick one and listen to it. And, and you'd be surprised at just kind of the influence that listening to those recordings has on you. It's almost like, when you are around somebody who's very negative and you're around them and they're just complaining all day and venting and negative about everything, you really start to take on that view and you're like, Oh yeah, like, you know, this is not a great experience. And so when we can listen to recorded self-talk, whether it's, you know, something online or something inspirational or a meditation or, you know, our own self-talk, um, that last stage of listening is really kind of practicing that repetition of rewiring the brain to learn these new uh, belief systems and practice these new positive thoughts. Yes, it is a beautiful resource. I was looking at his website. There's a lot of materials there, a lot of ways of practicing this self-talk repetition. And it makes a lot of sense, of course, like listening. That's why I do a lot of reading and a lot of listening to anything that's positive. It right. helps so right. much. And, and so what I love about Chad and his, 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 his book is this is not a new concept by any means. This is something that we've been practicing, you know, throughout the human experience. Every time we pick up a positive book or, you know, have a positive conversation with somebody or, um, have a positive spiritual experience. We are practicing these things. He's just kind of talking about it in a little different way and, and talking about it through the lens of self-talk. But these are things that a lot of times we're already practicing. We're already surround, trying to surround ourselves with positive people and experiences and, and reading positive books. Um, And so I think that's kind of the coolest part is this isn't some new trend, you know, Um, this is something that we have talked a lot about in in this field of kind of self-help and mental health. Um, It's just a little bit kind of different way of introducing it and experiencing it. Right. Because that's exactly what we need. We need to be reminded. Mm -hmm. Right, Megan? So the more repetition we have, the better it is Uh, of any kind. Even new speakers with new language, new new ways of saying the same thing. I love that too. It's so creative to me. Yes. I actually, um, when I was checking out your podcast, um, stumbled upon Zara Carson um, and loved that podcast. She talked about a lot about the same things and she's got... um, a rewire system. And she talked about kind of the same concept of 
of rewiring our brain. So it's definitely something that is talked about a lot already, just in different ways and um, different experiences. Yeah, I'm so glad because we do need that. <laughs> so we're almost at the end. I do have an ending question for you. But before that, Megan, would you like to add anything else that we didn't discuss or anything we left out and that was important to be communicated today? Um, I don't think so. It's just been such a pleasure to um, share this experience with you and have this conversation with you today. And like I said, I'm, I'm so glad that you asked me to be a guest today just because it did introduce me to your podcast. And I've been able to um, explore so many awesome other speakers and resources um, through your podcast and your website. Um, there is one quote I wanted to read from the book. Would now be a good time? Yes, please. Yes, yes. So this is at the very end of the book, which again is called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. And Shad says, talk to yourself. Learn the words, the right words. Wire them in and use them. Make yourself talk a positive, everyday, self-directing habit. Talk to yourself in a way that is kind, loving, caring, strong, demanding, and determined. Talk to yourself in the right way every day. When you do, you will give yourself the greatest gift you will ever you will ever give. Remember, you are everything that is, your thoughts, your life, and your dreams come true. You are everything you choose to be. You are as unlimited as the endless universe. That summarizes everything. Yeah, the, how powerful the message is. Thank you so much again, Megan, for your presence here today, for this beautiful intention to help others, the wisdom you share, and the energy you put into helping others. It's truly beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. you. And my last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Oh, I think um, three experiences that I wish for everybody to have. Um, the experience to interact with somebody from a completely different background and experience as them. Um, that is something that, um, I've gotten to do through my work and, you know, through a little travel, I haven't done a ton of traveling, but, um, mostly through my work, I think there's just something so powerful to sitting down with a human who's had a completely different life experience. Um, and, and connecting with them and understanding their experience and uh, through a completely different lens and, and the way that they've experienced life. Um, so that's one. Um, I think another one would be to just have deep connections with others and take that, that vulnerable opportunity to connect with others. Um, and I think that's one of the most challenging things to do as a human, because especially if we've had trauma or had negative experiences, um, we do have, you know, these built in defenses of putting up our guards, not letting people in. And so being able to be vulnerable enough to say, you know, I'm going to let my guard down. I'm going to let this person in. I'm going to let them see me for who I am. Um, and, and take that chance of, of them maybe not accepting us. Um, that is the third one. And then let's see. The last one I think would be to take chances to 
explore opportunities or conversations that we may not think we would like. So whether it's talking to somebody with, um, you know, completely opposing viewpoints or opinions than us or going somewhere that we might not think that we would like, but we're open to the experience, um, pushing ourselves through our comfort zone and, and, and seeking new experiences. Um, some of the greatest things I've experienced is when I pushed myself of like, Oh, I'm really uncomfortable doing this, but I'm going to push through it anyway and see what it's like. Um, that's actually kind of was my experience early on in my career. Um, you know, I thought I wanted to work with, with teens and substance use. And I took a chance to work with people with, um, severe mental health issues, um, of a much different background. And I was, I was nervous and I didn't know if I would like it. And I ended up just really falling in love with the work. Um, and so I think that would be the third thing is just pushing ourselves to experience new things, even if we think that we might not enjoy it or, Mm. or get much out of it. I love all that. And I love your wisdom and the way you express the wisdom too. you communicate the message. It's authentic. It's here now. It can be felt. Thank you so much, Megan, for being you. And my last technical question before we say goodbye today is where can we find more information about you, your products, your services and future projects? Yeah. So, um, I have a website. It is, um, not super creative. It's just my first name, last name. So Megan Barkin, B-A-R-K-E-N-L-L-C.com. You can also find me on Psychology Today, which is kind of a list of different therapists and resources. Um, but my website is probably the, the best way to find me and connect with me at meganbarkinllc.com. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, Megan, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Valeria. Have a great one. You too. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Megan Barkin and her work, please visit meganbarkinllc.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.